Why is sales so difficult? Because it's not just one thing you have to do in sales. It's like a list of 10 things minimum that you got to learn and master. And each one of those things is not a small thing to do. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of effort. It's a lot of challenges. But you can do this. Every single message you deliver is really a sales call. Either you are selling or being sold. Salespeople love to brag about their skills. And the truth is, your success in closing sales depends on your skills, your abilities, and finding the right training. And the great news is, you have come to the right place here at The How to Sell Show with your hosts, Dale Bell and Scott Sylvanbell. And be sure to join the party at howtosell.live and download your copy of The 10 Common Mistakes Salespeople Make. Aloha from Sacramento, California today. Today's a fantastic day. I'm coming to you live from the How to Sell Show studios and on episode number 185, why is sales so difficult? <laughs> why is sales so difficult? Uh, this question comes up to me more times than you can imagine. Uh, when people find out that I've been in sales, that I train salespeople, that I work with sales teams, this is the question, Scott. Why is sales so hard? Why is sales so difficult? And sometimes it's inquisitive, like, hey, just, you know, give me an idea. Why is sales so hard? Why is sales so difficult? And sometimes it comes from salespeople that are struggling. Why is salespeople, why is sales, salespeople, why is sales so hard? And sometimes it comes from management and owners. Scott, oh my goodness, why is sales so hard for people to get? And I want to give you an insight here. So sales is a business decathlon. It's not one event or topic. It's multiple things that you look at. And I've broken it down into like 10 different things. And so like people who have an assembly line job, they get used to doing things on an assembly line and it gets repetitive. As a salesperson, your repetition is spread out over time. And so the more expensive your product or service is, uh, the, the, longer, the longer your presentation is typically going to be. And so the, the, the more technical your process is and the more expensive it is, the more things you have to memorize. So like, I'll give you an example. Somebody's selling a little item at a hut or a kiosk at a mall. There's only so much that they need to know. It's $5, it's $10. You know, here's what, here's what you need to go. If it's electronics, it's going to be a little bit different like a cell phone. There's only so many things to know about a cell phone. And in no way, if you do electronic sales, I'm not minimizing what you do. Okay. I'm just going up the ladder. So let, let's say you get into a car sales. You know, you got to know about your product. You got to know about your service. Then uh, you get into like real estate. There's all the legal aspects. There's all the things that you got to deal with. Or if you're going to move up the ladder or horizontal ladder, whatever direction you want to go, you can have like um, enterprise sales where you're selling to other businesses or you could be selling to the government. You know, typically salespeople start really easy selling something. And I'll, I'll tell you, my my career in sales started off selling candy. Yep. Yep. My my sales career started off selling candy. My dad was my my mentor. So growing up as a kid, he would tell me stories about how before school, he would go to the store and he would buy a bag of M&Ms and he would sell handfuls of M&Ms for a dollar. Or at lunch, he would keep a 12 pack or a 36 pack of sodas in an ice chest and he would sell sodas. You know, like my dad said, hey, if you can sell something, you can make money. So 
started selling candy in school. I would have my mom take me to the equivalent of Costco back in the day, which was called Price Club. And so uh, I would buy atomic fireballs. I'd buy blow pops. I'd buy Tootsie Rolls. And I figured out early on that depending upon when I sold that candy was how much I could charge for it. There was variable costs associated. So a strawberry blow pop would get me $3 after lunch and a sour apple one would get me $1. And uh, a cherry blow pop would get me $2. And so I always had a bag of candy on me. Always had a bag of candy on me. Then I also had a paper out. You know, in the morning I was out there slinging papers. I was like, you know, throwing stuff on porches, out in the rain, out in the cold. And I, I think back and that was part of what I did. That was, that's always been my identity selling stuff. I would always find something to sell. I would find something that was somebody's junk way before Craigslist and I would find a way to, to mark it up and I'd find a way to sell it. And this is the way that most salespeople start, but there's people who get in and they're like, Hey, I think I should check out sales. And they don't have that type of upgrade bringing. They don't have that type of, I'm going to get used to some objections. I'm going to get used to people telling me, no, I'm going to get used to asking for money. And so if you're, if you're thinking like, hey, I, I really want to get into sales. I've just never really dove into it. Well, you're going to get a good glimpse. You're going to get to hear the ins and the outs. And the good thing for you is I don't sugarcoat, right? I, there's, there's no outcome for me to make stuff up here. There's no good outcome for me to not tell you the truth. But what you're getting is a perspective of me being in sales full-time for 20 years. For me, training salespeople for the last 10 to 15 in some capacity or another. So I'm going to I'm gonna share with you what I've seen, the, the conversations that I've had, the problems that people have had when I talk with them, when I ride with them, when I coach them. So if you've been in sales, uh, get ready to hear a few reminders. You need to sit there and just nod your head and be like, yep, that's happened to me. I totally understand it. That was a hard lesson for me to learn. And look, these are all things that you need to know or you need to learn how to do or are part of the conversation. If you reverse engineer it and you're like, I'm struggling right now, what you could do is you could use this for your roadmap and you can say, where am I struggling? And if you're getting brand new into sales, you can look at this roadmap and say, these are the areas that I need to perfect. These are the things that I got to do so that I could be a closer, that I can get on my way to closing deals. Now, I don't have a universal list where someone's going to be like, hey, Scott, I agree with you 100%. That's fine. Take my list and modify it. I, I say that a lot because at least if you have a critical mind, and you take a look at it and you're thinking and saying, hey, you know, this, is, this isn't the direction I'd go. I'd go this way. Cool. No problem. Or if you're like, hey, Scott, I love what you say. Cool. No problem. The thing for you is at least use it as an outline. Use it for good. Use it for a basis. Use it for a conversation. Use it to get better. Use it to, to look for your own struggles. Okay. So when, when you take a look at sales, it's not, it's not just internal. It's not just business. There's also an enemy. And when you when you take a look at selling something, there's always an enemy. The enemy could be price increases. The enemy can be the competition. The enemy could be the government with the rules and the regulations. There is an enemy to sales why it makes it so difficult. And the enemy is information. So some of what makes sales difficult is bad coaching and bad training. And if you've been in sales long enough, you've sat in front or behind a room, you've had a, a coach or a mentor or or some knucklehead in front of the room telling you what they think sales is. And there's plenty of people out there that can make their own process work, but nobody else can do it. There's plenty of people out there that can think through and say, these are all the magic things you say. They work for them, but they don't work for anybody else. And then there's just bad training where people have no idea what they're talking about. In my lifetime, 
I have seen purported experts, and I'm going to put that in in, in loose terms, in, in, you know, air quotes, experts, say stuff that is just like, are you freaking kidding me? That's what you think training is? That's what you think that uh, working with a team looks like and you charge money for it? Like, come on, man. Come on, chick. Come on, dude. Whatever way you want to say it. So your enemy for why is sales so difficult partially is other people. Now, uh, my, my uh, copywriting mentor, John Benson, has a saying that I really love, right? And you can use this as a word track when you meet with buyers, just so you know. This is a really good one. It's not your fault, but now that you know, it's your responsibility. Think about that. Think about how you could use that inside of a sales call. People are like, it's not my fault. You're like, yeah, absolutely right. I completely understand. You are right. It is not your fault. But now that you know, now it's your responsibility. So like, it's it's your job over time to figure out what is good sales training to you. Figure out what is the, the processes and the people that you like. Okay. I'll give you a, a couple of people in my world that may not necessarily be sales trainers that I think do fantastic work. Um, my good friend, Dr. Kevin Hogan, he wrote quite a few books. He's got two more coming out here pretty quick. Uh, I think of Jim Camp wrote Start With No. He wrote an amazing book on negotiation. And when I first read it, I didn't like it. But the more that I read it, uh, the more that I did like it. I think I've listened to that book on, on recording pretty close to 30 times now. I've read the book about four or five. Another book that's really good is uh, Chris Voss and Taz Rall, Never Split the Difference. Uh, another author out there that's got fantastic work is going to be Oren Clough. I mean, there's a lot of people that I could name off that have content that's legit. And I can name off a list of people that have written coattails and just pretty much rewritten books over time. And they're just regurgitating information. They really have anything new to say. And some of the stuff that they tell you is absolutely wrong. So part of your enemy is going to be bad teaching, bad content, um, bad information in general. I think of it like spoiled fruit. In all realities, like if you went to the grocery store and you looked around, you're like, there's spoiled fruit. Well, the only thing you could probably use it for is making liquor, but nobody wants to buy it. Okay. So you have to get good at figuring out your skills. So I'm going to put this in its own separate category and not in the list of the decathlon items that are coming up next. You got to get good with your emotions because rejection sucks. Okay. But like your your emotions influence your sales process. Your sales process is influencing your emotions. It's, it's a cyclical process. Your own inadequacies. I don't know how many times I've worked with salespeople who have problems with numbers, that have problems for asking for money because they got weird beliefs about money. They got weird ideas about how to ask people for money. They got weird ideas about what value is. You know, I do a lot of work with plumbers, roofers, electricians, heating, air conditioning technicians. And so... Sometimes the the guys that struggle the most as heating, air conditioning technicians and plumbers are the guys that are value centered, that are that are caught up in price of stuff. So they're used to fixing their own things. They fix their own car. So like it's a $200 part to fix it. And in their mind, they look at it like uh, the dealership is robbing them or the repair place is robbing them because they know how to do it and they've got tools. Well, not everybody has that skill or that capability. And so sometimes our own inadequacies, including mine, I am not impervious to this. I've had problems over my lifetime. I've had issues. I'll raise my hand in this episode, like I raise my hand in every other episode, that our own personal conflicts causes problems. Our own personal issues either allow us to sell or not allow to sell. And 
a lot of times in this decathlon starts with the way that you think about yourself, the way that you think about money, the way that you think about success. You know, the, there's a saying out there that success leaves clues. Well, you know, the opposite of that's true too. Failure leaves clues just as much as success does. You just got to know where to look and who to have to talk to. There's so many things to know. It's not, it's not just about personality and communication. You know, there's times where I meet with business owners and like, I think I found the perfect sales guy. All right, cool. Tell me about him. He's got the greatest personality. And I have to have the people pleaser conversation with them. And they're like, what is a people pleaser? Well, there are plenty of good people out there that have amazing personalities, but can't close. And they always say, why? And I say, because like they have a, a disposition to be nice. And they go, well, what's wrong with that? And there's nothing wrong with wanting to be nice. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be an elegant, fantastic person. But you also have to be able to deal with conflict. You also have to be able to deal with uh, what makes a sales process interesting. And so when you when you take a look at some of the best salespeople, a lot of them are very straightforward and they say what they're thinking. And sometimes saying what they're thinking gets them in trouble for a moment, not forever, but for a moment. And the buyer goes, I don't really know if I like this guy or this girl. And then, you know, sales trainers will scream, but yeah, you got to build rapport. You got to build rapport. And like, I agree with that to an extent. But people pleasers typically sell on price. And people pleasers typically go back to mommy or daddy or the sales manager asking for discounts and, and, and negotiating deals that a closer would go in there and say, let's get this done. And I don't mean to knock people. I'm not being aggressive. I'm not being a jerk. But there are some people pleasers that and this isn't 100% of the population. There's some of them that really shouldn't be in sales. They've got amazing personalities, but they, they can't and won't. They can't and won't ask for the sale. They can't and won't sell the price that they need to. But management looks at the nice guy or the nice girl as a people pleaser, and they're like, they're a fantastic salesperson. And they are some of the toughest salespeople to train because at the end of the day, they won't step out of their own comfort zone. They, they just won't do it, okay? So here is a list of my 10 items you must know to be a master closer. And so... Uh, the thing to realize is each one of these could be an episode of a podcast all on their own. It really could. So let's start with number one. Keep a strong mental state. Strong mental state. And this isn't always easy because you've got to balance your personal life, your work life, your family life. All these things can work for you or against you. I've got a good friend, Mitch. Mitch, Mitch, uh, Mitch is an interesting dude, but this dude is a closer. And He's told me stories that he he's told his wife, don't call me during the day. I can't do anything to help you. And I'm trying to make money for the family. And his house was legitimately on fire. And his family called him. So the house is on fire. He's like, don't call me. Like I'm in the middle of a sales call and I got to keep my mind in the game. So he got home and the fire department had been there. The back deck had caught on fire, right? You got to keep a, a strong mental state. Now you might not go as far as Mitch. You might not. But at the end of the day, you have to have your boundaries, you have to work on this. This isn't something you can outsource. You can't call up a virtual assistant and say, hey, can you set boundaries for me? They're going to be like, what are you talking about? No, <laughs> get back to selling. Number two, kind of ties into a strong mental state, but like at the end of the day, you've got to deal with rejection and there's piles of it. And just when you think you're done, there's piles of it again. And just when you think you're done, there's piles of it again. Now, I, I explain this a lot. For a reason, because I like to be able to point people out. We get rejected all day long and don't even realize it. We don't. So I go to the gas station this morning to get some gas. Dude cuts in front of me, steals the pump. I got rejected. I was kind of upset. 
But I was like, eh, there's more gas. It's not like there's a gas outage. Gas is five bucks a gallon right now. If I wait a couple of minutes, I'm probably going to be okay with that. So today, on the way here to record this episode, I'm driving and the light, the timing was off. Like it's a street that I drive down a lot. Light turns red faster than normal. I got rejected. Didn't freak me out. Part of life. Go to the grocery store the other day. And uh, I was going to go get to the checkout line and I get the light turned off on me. And they're like, sorry, this, this, this checking account, check, <laughs> this check stand, not checking account, this check stand's closed. Sorry, can't do it. But I didn't freak out. I'm on a carnivore diet the other day. Went to Costco to buy some ribeyes. And I don't like shopping when there's a ton of people in the store because I don't like being ran into or having my feet ran over multiple times or little kids running around knocking into stuff. So I typically go at the end of the day and I go and they had a junk selection of ribeyes. After as many ribeyes as I've eaten, I know what to look for. I know what I like. I know where the, where the fat needs to be. I know where the beef needs to be. I need to, I, I know where I like the spinellus cap or the top piece of the ribeye, how big that is. They had junk, but I didn't go, oh my goodness, I just got rejected. I got rejected. I got cut off. I got rejected that the stoplight turned red on me. I got rejected with the guy. That, I was kind of mad with the guy at the gas. Kind of. Not too ex- extreme. But you have to get good with rejection. Number three, you got to get good with office, office politics. You know, you have haters on the outside, haters on the inside. And some of the worst haters uh, for your sales process is managers. They're all nice and happy to you and to your face, but behind your back, they're jerks. Cause problems. They don't like you. You make too much money. You're a prima donna to them. Those are some exact words that I've heard in my lifetime. Number four, you got to get good at presentations. This is all about content mastery. It's not a sales call. It's a performance. You hear me probably say that in just about every episode for a reason, because it's a good reminder. It's not a sales call. It's a performance. You got to get good with scripts. You got to get good with delivery. You got to get good with conversations. You got to get good with being interrupted. This is one of the things that salespeople really struggle with and they don't realize it is the interruptions of when they get taken off track and getting the buyer back involved and getting them engaged in the conversation and being like, time out, bub. We got to get you back onto this conversation. We were talking about widgets and gizmos and we were talking about money. We're going to get this thing done. Number five, you got to get good at answering questions and asking questions. So I, I heard a cool saying about 15 years ago, the two most powerful forms of communication are questions and stories. So when you think about it, who's asked, who asked the best questions in life? Who, who is your role model for asking questions? You have, may have a role model for closing. You may have a role model for presenting. You may have a role model for opening conversations, but who's your role model for, for questions? Who's the person that you look at and you're like, this person really knows what they're doing. They're very good at questions. Uh, there was a point where I think I had ordered about seven to 10 books just on asking people questions. Just because it's part of the process, the better questions you ask, the better information that you get. The better information you get, the better you can help somebody solve their problems. The better you can ask questions, the better you can turn a problem into an opportunity. It's just how you look at it and what you do. Number six, tell stories. You kind of got a hint on that one, just so you know. You had to be telling yourself, you know, Scott's probably going to talk next about stories because he said questions and stories are the most powerful form of communication. And so when you take a look, who do you know that tells really good stories? Who do you know that tells, you know, those amazing jokes? Who do you know that tells things that keeps people spellbound? And you don't have to look just at sales. You can look at 
uh, entertainment. Like uh, one of the people that I look at the the most when it comes to something like this, believe it or not, is The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. Dwayne Johnson has some amazing skills and keeps people engaged. And he spent many years in front of the ring doing wrestling, telling stories. Side note, that's a fake show. It's a soap opera, right? He was he was he was performing. Now, am I saying that their moves are fake? No, because like you could see them get hurt or you could see them get cut. But look to different industries for storytellers. Look to different industries for question askers. Between those two, look at as many places as possible. Look as many places outside of sales as possible. Like instead of just looking for the answers inside the industry, go outside the industry. That's one of the coolest things I learned from Jay Abraham. You don't always have to stay on the inside. You can always go on the outside and find things that nobody's doing. Number seven, know about the product, the service, the competitions, and the rules. Really, at the end of the day, this is one of the places that you get paid because it's hard to duplicate this. You know, people can go online and they can look at forums and they can search out expert advice. But at the end of the day, there are salespeople that are far more knowledgeable. I know a a lady named Rhonda and she is a loan originator and she lives in Alaska. And so like the way that she looks at her job is to figure out the best mortgage that she can get for her client. And so I saw her last year in uh, Las Vegas and she was telling me, she was like, Scott, I knew how to work the rules and be within the boundaries of the law. And I found somebody alone at a 0.75% interest rate because I was able to stack certain things. Now, mortgages aren't my wheelhouse, but that sounds pretty freaking amazing to me. And so uh, I want to give you an, uh, an example outside of industries that I normally share. Like that is somebody who has superior knowledge. And that's somebody who really shouldn't have to share their secret sauce. And a lot of times what buyers do is they, they put you on the track and they're like, hey, sales dude, sales chick, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to do all the research for me. And then I want to compare information. And then I want to take your information. And I want to have the person who does it for the less, least do it, even though they may not be qualified. I always loved it when I would design systems for heating and air for people back in the day. Then I'd get a phone call like a couple months later or six months later after, you know, things had gone in and they weren't going very well. And the homeowner was upset because the company that they went with couldn't do the design that I had figured out, or they went with something different and the person tried to skimp and I would get the conversation, Scott, I should have gone with your company. In fact, I used to keep testimonial letters. I had a whole pile of them before my car got broken into of all the people who had done business with me and gave me the, I wish I would have gone with your company. I wish I would have done business with you. I wish I would have done business with, with the company that you work for. Because you designed it and I tried to go on the cheap. So you have to get good at telling that story too. Number eight. Number eight. Overcoming objections. So between product service competition number seven and number eight, overcoming objections, there's only so much that you're going to get from a book. There's only so much you're going to get from rote knowledge. There's only so much you're going to get from repetition on that information. And then you got to go into the real, real world. And when it comes to objections, there's like five major objections for just about every industry. And then after that, there's hybrids. So if you go five squared, it comes into 25. But you you have to get really good at the five most common objections to deal with the kind of 25 that you're going to get. Now, is that always an exact number? No. Simmer down. It's not. But you got to get good with the base five. You got to get good with the most common objections your industry faces. So almost like right off the top of my head, I want to think about it, probably one of the most common ones, okay? Uh, It's too much money. 
I've got to talk to somebody else. We got to take this to the board. I got to take it to my husband. Got to take it to my wife. Got to take it to my neighbor. Got to take it to my my pet squirrel. Whatever people say. I don't like your product or service. So I don't like you, right? Those are those are like the main five objections that you're going to face. You might have a couple more. Put them on the list. If you got seven and you go seven squared, there's like forty nine objections by the time you figure out the hybrids. But once again, you're going to get eighty percent of them down by figuring out whatever most common ones are in your industry and your service. Number nine, deal with delivery and timelines. You have to look towards the horizon to get things done. And you you sometimes have to go in and put on the, the gloves and, and, and do the work. I could think of lots of times where it wasn't just that I sold the product or the service. I had to negotiate with the office. I had to negotiate with the buyer. I had to negotiate with legal and it became like a four-way deal instead of a two-way deal. And so sometimes office staff does not understand and they don't care that they're going to kill your deal. They don't care because they get paid by the hour. So you have to get used to delivery times, information, processes, dealing with people, asking for favors, and overall working through a sales process. Number 10, dealing with upset clients. Not everything goes well. Not everything goes good. Not everything goes perfect. There's times where the office screws up. There's times where delivery screws up. There's times where install screws up. There's times where trucking screws up. Like sometimes it, it has nothing to do with you. And sometimes the universe just conspires against you. And it's true. It's true. But not all the time. Occasionally. Occasionally the universe conspires against you. If you get caught up in that, it'll always conspire against you. Okay. And once again, all these episodes really could be a, a lesson in themselves. They could be a conversation in themselves. And as you take a look at it, why is sales so difficult? Well, it's not just one thing. There's 10 categories and about a thousand different things that can go wrong. And you're dealing with personalities and you're dealing with money and you're dealing with people's emotions and you're dealing with people at, at their best state and their worst state. And one of the reasons that's not on this list is there's people out there that tell buyers to get three bids. There's people that tell people to go out and do shopping. So this is going to be a category of the enemy. So part of this is like if you tell an average person, go out and talk to three people, there's no framework that they tell you what to look at. There's no like, hey, do you look at quality? Do you look at service? Do you look at warranties, guarantees type of people doing the work? No, they tell you to go out and get three bids. So people here are like, I'm going to go out and I'm going to get three bids. So they go out and they get three bids and they're like, I'm just confused. I've talked to three different people. I've got 27 different answers. I don't know what to do here. All right. Well, I did what I was supposed to do. I got three bids. I'm just going to shop on price. Well, if you're a good salesperson, you're going to be able to help them with that criteria and explain, hey, that's probably not the best thing for you to do. That's that's the, that's not going to help you out. You think that that's going to help your situation. It's actually going to make it worse. You're just going to end up confused. Confusion can be an enemy. That's a side note for you. Confusion can, can work against you in sales because you can have a superior product, superior service. Everything's better at what you do, but your buyer's confused. That's something you left off in the presentation. You didn't deal with their buying criteria. You didn't deal with how how they were going to make that decision. Now, to an extent, you can influence that. To an extent, you can ask about it. But if you don't know, like I always loved it when people tell me, hey, Scott, I'm shopping on price. I'd be like, we should just end this conversation now. And they'd say, why? I'm like, because I can't help you. I don't work for a low price company. And about 80% of the time, the people would be like, well, I still want to hear what you have to say. And I'd ask them why. 
I, I don't have the lowest price thing. Well, I just want to compare information. I'd say, well, we've got some decisions to make. I could tell you right now, if you're shopping on price, you're not going to go with me. So if you're telling me it's the, the guy who's the lowest is going to be the one that wins, I'm just going to pack my stuff up and leave. And then they get mad, like, hey, you're wasting my time. I'm like, no, I'm not. At the end of the day, if you're just after free information, I'm not the guy to help you. That's not what I do. So sometimes people would get upset. They'd call the office. They'd call and complain. But like to this day, when people call and say, Scott, I need training. I need I need some help with my team or I need some coaching. And they try to compare me to somebody else. They're like, well, this guy over here is willing to do it for this much less. I'm going to go with him. I think you should. I, I absolutely think you should go with that person because you don't understand the value that I'm bringing to the table. We're, we're miscommunicating. It's just not going to work out. And about 20% of the time that people will go, okay, well, listen, I want to hear what you have to say. Now, you may be listening and go, Scott, my numbers are like 50-50. Good for you. You can you could be the person who's like, my number is 60-40. Good. Fantastic. I'm just giving you my number, 80-20. Because there's a point in my brain where I'm like, I don't want to deal with that person who's cheap. I don't want to deal with the person who's going to cause me a bunch of problems. You don't understand value. You're going to be the first person to complain about it. Every time that I have bent the rules to try to help somebody to fix a price, to get it to where they need to be, it has always been a mistake on my part. They're the biggest complainers. They're their biggest whiners. Um, they tell all their friends and family how much they got stuff for, and then they expect it too. No, not going to do it. So some of this is going to come down to your buying criteria. Why is sales so hard? Because you're dealing with personalities. At the end of the day, you're dealing with emotions, you're dealing with personalities, you're dealing with differences, you're dealing with people making decisions. I say this a lot for a reason, because uh, you, as a salesperson, you really need to understand rejection, and you really need to understand regret. So just about every episode, I drop this in for a reason. There's six elements to rejection, time, effort, energy, risk, money, and reputation. The more of any one of those that you put into a product or service, time, effort, energy, risk, money, or reputation, the more you have the ability to be rejected. Now, conversely, there's an inverse relation. The less time, effort, energy, money, risk, or reputation you put in, you have the element of having regret for not doing your job. So there is an amount of work that you have to put in and you have to be willing to do the work. Why is sales so difficult? I don't know. I think I've listed off about 30 different things in, in 10 different major categories. And you're really just going to have to make the decision about what you want to do and where you want to go. And sales isn't for everybody. You know, I've had my moments in life where I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. And I've had moments in my life when I go to the bank and I'm like, hmm, yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. So sales is one of those things that's personal too. It really is because you're dealing with your own buying beliefs you're dealing with all of your own content, your own issues, your own problems, and everything going on in your life. But you know what? At the end of the day, you got this. Thanks for checking out this episode of the How to Sell Show. You can join the party at howtosell.live to get the show notes, links, updates on new episodes, recordings of previous episodes, articles, as well as videos. You may not know this sales secret, but sharing this episode with a friend will bring you good luck. See you soon. Mahalo.